and welcome to Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast where you hear the latest from industry-leading experts on trends shaping the property industry. My name is Phil Rowland, CEO of CBRE's advisory services in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm the host of today's special episode for International Women's Day. This year's theme of International Women's Day is to challenge. Uh, in other words, if we choose to challenge social and economic norms that exist around gender, we're alert and we're creating an environment for change. I'm delighted to be joined today by two very special guests, Cathy McDermott, Chief Operating Officer at the Property Council of Australia, and Diana Messina, a Senior Economist at AMP Capital. Today, we're going to explore COVID-19's regressive effect on gender equality. Uh, we'll be covering some of the social and economic impacts and the shifts that have occurred over the past year that can help accelerate positive change for more gender equal future. Kathy and Diana, it's uh, wonderful to have you in the discussion and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Phil. Well, before we get started, it's very important to note that the impact of the pandemic and its effects uh, have been widespread and certainly spanned well beyond gender. Everyone in our communities has felt the weight of the past year. COVID-19 has really wreaked havoc, affecting lives uh, and livelihoods of millions of people globally. And look, it's been indiscriminate around race and gender and socioeconomic groups. In our discussion today, it's not meant to make light of this widespread impact on society. But in light of International Women's Day, it is pertinent for us to explore how COVID-19 has impacted women, both negatively and positively. So it's always good to uh, get started with a little bit of myth busting. And, you know, the most common being that, that COVID-19 has affected both men and women equally. But the facts are that the pandemic has had a regressive impact on gender equality, with women uh, more vulnerable to job losses uh, than men and women taking the bulk of childcare responsibilities. So, Diana, perhaps we can start with you. You've spent much of the past year analysing and predicting the impacts of COVID-19 on the Australian economy. And one of your focus areas is centred around how the pandemic is, has impacted gender equality from both a economic and social perspective. So from your research, has COVID-19 exasperated some of the pre-existing challenges around gender equality? At the height of the pandemic, it definitely did in Australia and also across advanced economies. And the reason for that is because women tend to take a larger share of employment in industries that the government chose to shut down because they had to. There's a larger proportion of women who work in the retail space, who work in the accommodation and food services space or in things like personal services and personal care. That's just a general trend that you see around the advanced world. So what we know from the employment data is that in March, April, May, last year, the height of the uncertainty in the pandemic, more women lost their job than men. And there's less women who were totally employed in the Australian labour force. So it meant that the impact to female employment was much larger than it was for men. The good news is that because Australia has done so well in managing COVID, that actually the job gains that have now been recovered over the past close to a year, they've actually been very equal for men and women. So there was still a decent chunk of men who lost their job, of course, during the pandemic. 
And now we can see that both men and women have regained about 90% of those job losses, perhaps even a little bit more than that. So that's great news. But I think that the outcomes for Australia and for other advanced economies that have had the ability to have social welfare, to have the redistribution impacts from the government, that fiscal stimulus, that's not available to a lot of other countries and the impact to women in an employment sense, in a lot of developing and emerging nations where they might work in industries that are less regulated, their impact to employment will be much longer felt. And unfortunately, the data for that is just not available. But we know that women in those developing and emerging nations do take a larger share of that informal work sector. So until you see a complete normalisation in activity around the world from covid those women in those industries across developing and emerging nations will continue to be negatively impacted more than their male counterparts. Yeah, and you know, particularly those industries with such high employment rates for women. What a, just an extension of that one, Diana, just around sort of the part-time workforce, you know, it's often a um, you know, woman to play a, a big contribution in, in that sector of the employment economy. What's your view on on the impacts for part-time workers and is that coming back? Again, Australia is a bit of an interesting case because our employment growth in part-time employment has actually been stronger than it has been for full-time employment. And we can see that the labour force is actually becoming, the unemployment rate is still above where it was before COVID. So the unemployment rate across the nation is still at about, six and a half percent or so before COVID it was close to five percent but those part-time job gains have been completely recouped which means that the labour force is still it's in a pretty good position I think and this goes back to all the fiscal stimulus that the government has put in place here so things like JobKeeper, the JobKeeper wage subsidy program, the JobSeeker unemployment benefits, the increase in those and then also some of the other Uh, measures that have been put in place into the economy to support economic activity. So things like tax cuts or being able to draw down on your superannuation or not having to pay your mortgage for a few months. All these factors have really helped to get economic activity back up here. Yeah. And Diana, just um, one final question for you, and then it'll be great, Cathy, to get your perspectives. But what about some of the more social impacts, Diana? Have you been able to explore any of those and the impact on women, particularly around childcare responsibilities? Yeah, the examples from overseas are quite different um, compared to Australia, which again goes to this point about how lucky we are here and um, how the government stimulus has really helped to impact our recovery. I mean, usually in recessions, gender equality tends to become better in recessions, and that's because in cyclical industries, like manufacturing or construction, those types of industries don't tend to perform as well in recessions because it's a cyclical industry and they get hit the first during that downturn. And obviously this recession that we've had during COVID has been completely different because the shutdown in different sectors. So this time around, you've actually seen a worsening in gender imbalances around the world. But the overseas experience from a more social perspective has been that we know in parts of Europe when before any changes to mobility restrictions happened or any government changes, mobility for men and women was running at pretty similar levels in terms of you can track mobility now on Google and Apple 
Um, they give you really good data signals as to how people are moving about. And once the school closures happened in Europe, you can see that female mobility took a much larger hit in areas like Italy, which gives you the signal that females are probably taking a larger share of the childcare responsibilities because their children weren't able to go to school. I mean, I, I felt that here too, but I have a very supportive husband, so he was t- he was um, very much helping me with the childcare responsibilities, but obviously there's um, not so many lucky people around the world. And then also some of, I thought one of the other really interesting stats was that academic journal publications by females actually went down more in developed countries than they did for males during the worst part of the pandemic earlier last year, which again shows some productivity dents for women, maybe because they were having to care for children. That's generally what the researchers think. Yeah, yeah, no, that's certainly a burden. Kathy, uh, perhaps we could turn to you for a moment in your role in the, at the Property Council of Australia. You've been heavily involved in spearheading gender equality and particularly playing a very prominent role in the Champions of Change Coalition. So from your perspective, um, has the disruption caused by COVID made any of these programs more difficult to prosper? Thanks, Phil, and thanks for your role in our gender equality initiatives. Um, you and CBRE and across your teams are very involved. So thank you very much for your work in this. In the, in the past, we're coming up to six years that we've been very focused and we've formed the, what was then the Property Male Champions of Change in 2015. After 10 years of the coalition, the name changed to Champions of Change to reflect um, the women leaders coming into the groups and the evolution of the strategy. So we think that's pretty exciting. It's something our group wanted for a long time, as you know, Phil. So what happened is, you know, I think we all face this, that when COVID started, there was so much confusion, there were so many challenges, but I think we sort of realised quickly there was also opportunity in it. So what we thought was, let's come together and look at our strategies and make sure we're offering our members every opportunity to connect, whether that's virtual or as soon as we go safely face-to-face, back into face-to-face. And in our diversity work, we really wanted to make sure we were safeguarding the wins that we had done in our diversity and inclusion work and to safeguard against any slippage. And there was there's new sort of areas to watch out for. And we talked, and you know this because you've been in the discussions, Phil, in our Champions of Change meetings last year, we really focused on applying a gender lens when we're doing our COVID initiatives. So that was workforce planning. It was about, you know, REM reviews last year, this year, we've got to apply that rigour to make sure there's not accidental pay gaps emerging in these unusual circumstances. Um, We've been talking about the caring by women, but also I think a lot of women talked about homeschooling became, they became teachers as well and the extra pressures of that. So it was really organisations saying, how do we best support our people And how do we make sure we're not accidentally losing ground on our diversity work? And I think we did that through our Champions of Change very effectively. I'd be interested in your views on that. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I think we made significant progress, but I think the risk that you highlight around, um, you know, everyone had to mobilise pretty significantly around a lot of business imperatives and the risk around losing that gender lens was very present through last year and and something we've got to maintain through this year, without a doubt. I think there was an opportunity, Cathy, and maybe I can share with you, I suppose, the opportunity that presented us and perhaps you can 
share whether you've seen that elsewhere, but you know what we found anyway is that COVID presented an opportunity to accelerate some of our programs around flexibility because during the period last year, just being connected and close to our people and ensuring that they were supported through that period of disruption, it did give us an opportunity to advance our flexibility program that was particularly centred around providing choices and support for women. But when you look across the property industry, Cathy, have you seen, I suppose, progress in that regard or, or seeing the opportunity that COVID presents to accelerate things? I think, um, you know, our group addressed Flex very early in its formation and I think our leaders really believed in Flex and were offering it to our people but what we were hearing was sometimes in the permafrost to some management levels, you know, people weren't getting the same opportunity um, for Flex and what happened last year was every single myth about the ability to work flexibly was just totally debunked and so that does open so much opportunity but there's also, you know, now people are really looking at training their managers to make sure that when they're running hybrid teams, that the people working flexible or dialing in are not disadvantaged. So a lot of women have said they feel that they have a much greater voice when it's a virtual meeting. So there's been a lot of talk about visibility and and that that's really increased during COVID. But you also want to make sure that if you've got a hybrid team that once the meeting ends and then someone walks out the door and has that coffee chat in the kitchen that the people at home aren't missing any of that information or ability to be part of those decisions. So it's about really being aware of it and alert and then train, I think, training. And we've seen some of our people, organisations in our group, actively doing that training. Yeah, no, I think that, that digital inclusivity is such an important part of the way we, we all need to work now. Okay, well, thank you, Cathy. Maybe I'll just sort of switch gears a little bit and um, pose some questions around, you know, the theme of of International Women's Day this year, which, as I mentioned, is Choose to Challenge, which really talks to the importance of actively challenging the status quo around gender to to bring about change. And so, Gianna, maybe I can just come back to you, um, you know, from your perspective, what do you see? biggest opportunity for positive change? And that, that can be as a result of COVID or just more broadly? The working from home is really important. I mean, that is often uh, one of the key things that females say is quite challenging for them because of the childcare perspective and also the fact that for a lot of parents, both have now been working from home and perhaps fathers who have children can see you know, the amount of um, work that is involved in, in um, caring for children at home, you know, if they have a partner who either stays at home or works part-time and takes a share of the childcare responsibilities. I think the most important thing to get women into the labour force, to get the participation rates up, to get more equality around pay, which we know is a big issue, is to get paid parental leave for both parents. I think that's extremely important for all organisations to consider. Uh, From my personal experience, I'm about to have my second child and the first time round, I took six months off. My husband took six months off. And the second time round, we're going to do the same thing again. And when I tell people that, a lot of people say, well, what are they going to do about his job? And I say, well, what are they going to do about my job? Isn't it the same thing? So there's, there's still this stigma attached to fathers not being able to take that time off or they feel like they can't ask for it. And that really needs to change if we want to reduce the wage gap and to get female superannuation back up to 
male superannuation levels when they're retired. That's just not going to happen if females aren't in the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. Kathy, what about your perspective on that? Yeah, I was just going to jump in there because um, we found a couple of years ago when we started doing some work in this area as the Champions of Change group, we found in some organisations there was the policy for the paid parental leave for men. They weren't taking it. So the whole strategy is based around listen, learn, lead. So we always start our work with asking our people in the organisation what's happening, why are they not taking it. So we did some focus groups and some organisations and what the CEOs found was the men weren't taking it because they thought it would be a career killer. And it wasn't. There was all the policy and protection. But in the history of some of these organisations, very few men had taken parental leave. So then it became, like many things, a leadership issue for the leader to talk about it, to encourage men and women to share the caring, to take the parental leave. I think, Diana, you're quite right. I think last year people experienced what that was like in their homes and and combining that work and caring. And I think another thing that came out of it, and this is something I know that has been really a focus of CBR in the last few years, or many years, has been that idea of bringing your authentic self to work. Now, suddenly, when we're all beaming in virtually, we got a much better sense of our colleagues and our peers because we saw kids and dogs and backgrounds. And I think people then felt very free to be who they are. And I think that was a very enriching experience and something we actually want to protect and keep going. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Cathy, that um, that ability for us to, to know each other better, be comfortable with um, exposing our, ourselves in a greater way and and, um, and that I think what by exposing that it does give give us more confidence to do things that you know aren't necessarily traditional and, and to your point around men you know visibly adopting those types of you know leave allocations is going to be really really important for us but that progress that we've made through COVID around being more open to our personal selves I think is, is going to be a a great support for that initiative and um, those two things that you talked about Diana around parental leave uh, for men and and superannuation for women whilst on maternity leave that's um, two policy changes that we've just recently made and so our job now is to make sure that we as men we drive that. Well Kathy and Diana thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your insights. Um, It's been wonderful to to stimulate a discussion around um, International Women's Day and to, to get your perspectives. Um, to finish off, I did want to um, ask you both uh, what International Women's Day uh, means to you. So maybe, Cathy, we can, we can start with you. For me, it's a really important day of reflection. Honesty, we have to really look at what we've achieved and if there's been any slippage and what are it's our priorities. And then it's a day of celebration. I think around the country we have interesting events and podcasts and news articles. And for me, I love reflecting on the people who have helped and supported me in my life, professionally and and personally. And that's a lot of fantastic women. So it's reflection and celebration. I love it, actually. (laughs) It's one of my favourite days. That's fantastic. And Diana, how about you? Why is International Women's Day important to you? Well, it's actually always been important because I grew up in Uzbekistan, which is a former part of the Soviet Union, and a lot of countries in the former Soviet Union or in Russia, they actually sell, it's been a day of celebration for a, a long time. You know, you normally tend to get roses from males or you know, just nice things like that, or, you know, my dad used to buy us gifts because he's got two daughters. 
So it was always for me about celebrating the women in your life and wishing them well and seeing the good things that they've done. And more recently for me as an economist, it's been around trying to participate in forums like this where you can talk about some of the issues that we still have to uh, challenge in Australia, in advanced economies or around the world uh, because there's obviously still a lot of progress that needs to be made. I think that some of the lunches that people organise for International Women's Day are also really important and they get great speakers to talk about some of these issues because nothing's going to get fixed until people talk about the problems and then think about the types of solutions that need to be done for them. Oh, that's fantastic, yeah. Well, for me, you know, Kathy, you've, you've prompted uh, me in a lot of ways to think about a special woman in my life and, and that was my mum. You know, when you think about, you know, strong women that have, that have shaped your life and growing up, um, seeing her as a, as a solo mum raise, you know, five kids and you think about the constraints uh, on her, it's, um, for me, International Women's Day very much as a time to reflect about, you know, my mum and sisters and, uh, you know, all those strong women in, in my family unit. So, and, you know, when I think about it in the context of a uh, business leader, it, it really does, for me, just um, reinforce the, the importance that uh, me as a leader just creating an environment at, uh, at Seabury where we were socially conscious, uh, we're respectful and inclusive and, and a, an environment where women can thrive and, and move into leadership positions. So for me, it's a it's a point in which um, you know we can reflect on our progress in that regard. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Talking Property with CBRE. If you like the show and want to check out some of our other conversations, visit cbre.com.au backslash talking property or subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Spotify where you can also leave a review. Until next time.